Professor Bryn Brown's research shows that vulnerability fosters good emotional and mental health. It is a sign of courage. We become more resilient and brave when we embrace who we truly are and what we are feeling. The Vulnerable Scientist Podcast is a space for scientists to tell their honest and authentic stories. I am your host, Saranya Kerry, who happens to be a scientist, informal science communicator, and I help scientists create personal websites. If you want to support this show, go to www.patreon.com slash the vulnerable scientist. You can also follow this podcast on all social media platforms at TV Scientist Pod. Hi everyone, welcome to the Vulnerable Scientist Podcast. This is your host, Saranya Kerry. And today I have Verena with me. Um, if you've uh, listened to this podcast for a while, you know that she has been featured before on a series of the story of, and uh, these are kind of republished um, publications from the science media publications, and she was telling her story. And I realized that we never asked the question of the highs and lows. And since the Vulnerable Scientist podcast is mainly talking about that, then I thought it would be good to bring her on here. Hi, Verena. Hi, Sarah. Great to be here. Thanks for coming. Just give us an introduction, a brief introduction of who you are. Sure. So I am Verena Ras. I am first and foremost a PhD student at the University of the Western Cape. Um, I am studying jellyfish, <laughs> believe it or not. So I um, am within the biodiversity and conservation biology department there. Um, I also wear a couple of different hats. So in parallel to that, I am also a bioinformatics training and outreach coordinator with a non-profit organization called HCA Pioneer. And I'm based um, for that position at the University of Cape Town. So I'm working across a couple of different institutions at the moment. And there, uh, my main role is just to try to sort of enhance um, capacity for bioinformatics analyses across Africa predominantly, um, but we are trying to extend our reach to other lower to middle income countries and regions across other continents um, who are interested in working with us or just learning from some of our experiences. Um, and so uh, in conjunction with that, I also am now affiliated with the African Biogenome Project where um, we are actually just trying to sequence just every endemic African species on the continent, so uh, a very ambitious project. And there I am the chair of the sample collection and processing subcommittee within the pilot project. Um, so that's been a very, very interesting experience for me. Um, I kind of became chair kind of by accident, <laughs> but I've, hmm. I've been enjoying it. <laughs> how? By accident, how? So I had actually not volunteered to really lead the group in any capacity. Um, I was actually one kind of more junior member coming into the group. And I was just really interested in the project and eager to get involved. And so what I'd actually told them is that I would be happy to act as like a secretariat. I'll be happy to take some minutes <laughs> and meetings. Mm. Or if, you know, they need to schedule a meeting, I'll, I'll kind of help in that capacity. And the chair at the time was actually just overwhelmed with his own responsibilities. Um, there were some programs starting up in his institution, as as I recall, and um, yeah, they were just kind of left without anybody, and <laughs> they just kind of went, do you want to just kind of take over for a little bit, and we see what happens, and 
yeah, I've just kind of been cheating you ever since then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I've never thought about this, but I would like to ask more about jellyfish. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was just um it's it's kind of cool to hear someone uh, researching about not just fish but jellyfish. <laughs> uh I don't know. How is it like um okay, tell me what would what uh, what a day-to-day activity for you would be like um in that <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it, it really depends, you know, what you what what you're talking about and what stage of research I'm in. Um, so as with any other, I guess, project, there are different stages. And so if I'm in a stage where I'm just trying to collect samples and I'm just looking for samples, um, a, a typical day would be actually me driving up and down the coast looking for specimens or trying to chat to fishermen <laughs> and asking mm-hmm. if there's been any sightings. Um, it's, it's actually very cool that that kind of period is, is very cool because, um, you'll just kind of wander around the coast and try and beg and ask people if you can come into the clubs and, you know, um, mm. the like little estuaries or lagoons and, and yeah, so it's, that's a very fun part of work for me. Um, because we'll typically just jump on a kayak or a boat and yeah, if we can, if we're allowed to steer it and we can take it along with us, we'll do that and just go mm-hmm. hunting for jellyfish. So that's a, that's so a cool part of, of like the work. This is like technically, um, fishing, literally. Yeah. So fishing for jellyfish, <laughs> but that's uh, like the fun part, but that's like the part that goes by the fastest. So you'll do couple of weeks of that and then mm-hmm. do it scattered in between so it's it's really interesting so sometimes people would just call us and be like hey we spotted jellyfish in like this province at this time mm-hmm. on that day and like there'd be lots of times when my professor would call me and be like you have to drive up there like now get all mm-hmm. your things into a car and drive up there I'm going to sort out somewhere for you to sleep and <laughs> you're going to try and catch jellyfish and then you're mm-hmm. going to come back um, so that that was fun but I haven't actually done that in a very long time. So since I've been oh. in more like formal employment, um, I've mm-hmm. been doing less and less of that. So I only get to do that when I actually have managed to also save up enough of my annual leave and I can take my annual leave and go and do some jellyfish stuff or lab work. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but that's the, that's the more fun part. I think I spend the most time in the lab, <laughs> to be mm-hmm. honest, and behind a desk, even with my jellyfish stuff. There's lots of desk work, lots of lab work. Um, and I don't think a lot of people, when you tell them you're doing marine biology, they think, oh, you're you know, on a boat all day. And all some of us function. are, but some of us are not. <laughs> ah. So what, what are you technically doing with the samples that you've collected? What are you trying to achieve at the end of your project? So for my current project at the moment, um, the first thing we, we wanted to do was to actually get jellyfish on some sailing orders. And so when I say that, I mean to get them formally on sort of the roster of things to collect um, when they are doing ecological surveys, boat-based surveys um, along the coastlines. And so a lot of different groups do that. Um, sometimes it's obviously nationally funded. Sometimes it's internationally funded. Um, but the food and agriculture organization, for example, do a lot of these like really large scale surveys and 
never ever has jellyfish been on the sailing orders or on the list of, you know, things to collect. And so one of the first things that, that my supervisor actually did was just kind of champion that and say, you know, well, like, let's put them on there and let's see what happens. We'll, you know, give a student or a few students who can go along with um, the surveys and do the collections. And so, you know, you don't have to spend any of your time doing them and, they worked out a, a pretty cool deal and jellyfish was actually collected for one of the first times. Um, so they are obviously haphazardly collected as part of other surveys, but I think this was the first time that it was on such a large scale, um, you know, such a large sort of project and survey that it went literally from the north of Africa down to the south of Africa. And they did that along the east coast and the west coast, um, sampling like, all along the way and just seeing what they pick up. And so a lot of the specimens were, were not in the best condition because um, the jellyfish, when you collect them, you actually have to act really, really quickly when you try to preserve them or get some DNA. And so a lot of the specimens were, were actually quite macerated, but that was actually quite fascinating because you still got to see all these specimens that were collected all across Africa in different waters, in places that I would never probably be able to go. Um, and yeah, so, so my project at the moment is looking at the genetic diversity that I've been able to pick up, trying to pair that, um, with some other global studies that, that have been done on jellyfish. Um, in a lot of those studies, there's really no African data. And when I say no, I mean like nothing. It's maybe like one specimen they collected in some decades ago. Um, so there's no real representation. And so that's what we want to do, do first and foremost was, um, really put Africa on the map, so to speak. And yeah, so I'm just trying to look at genetic diversity, see, you know, does the diversity differ to other sort of um, regions where jellyfish have been well sampled? Um, and then just look at species boundaries. Can I pick up some species boundaries using just, you know, barcoding data or other, other types of genetic data? Um, and then at the, at a sort of smaller scale, I'm also going to look at one genus, um, within the sort of, um, one of the families within the jellyfish. And then I'm going to just basically look at these different families, um, and see how the populations change. And so the fam one family I'm really focused on, or the one genus, sorry, that I'm really focused on is the Chrysoura. Um, one of them is an economically important species along the west coast of Africa because it's actually crashed an entire, almost crashed an entire fisheries along the west coast. And they are quite a nuisance in, in a few places where they do bloom and form like these mass, um, blooms and aggregations of, of chilies. And so I'm looking at them at a finer scale, look at, looking at their diversity. And then, um, we've got really wonderful collections for them from the survey and also other collections that we've done along Southern Africa. And so we're just going to sort of look at that one genus and see, you know, when we really get into the nitty gritty and we have lots of data, lots of genetic data, lots of morphological data, um, what kind of patterns can, can we uncover? And um, just recently we did a, a sort of study where we looked at jellyfish along Eastern boundary currents along the oh, kind of the whole world, um, and we saw some very, very interesting patterns of divergence. Um, just looking at the jellyfish data that we did have available for just, just, just this Chrysoura genus. And so that kind of sparked, um, you know, something in me because I was like, Oh, you know, this is so cool. And so now I wonder what I'm going to see when, when I get into my data. Um, and I'm, I'm currently working through that data and it's just, it's so cool. And it's just, 
really cool to see um, just, I guess, jellyfish that kind of nobody, nobody kind of thinks about jellyfish, but um, it's really cool to see how they fit into the sort of broader food webs, to see what an impact they actually have ecologically in the systems that they occur, which is quite large, actually. And the more we study them, we're realizing they have a larger role than, than we might have thought before. Um, so that's been, it's been interesting to just see how the field's been developing just in the short time that, that I've been engaged in it. I was wondering, are you the first person to kind of try to find out what kind of jellyfish are, like, are you the first person to attempt to do that? Like to see what kind of jellyfish are around Africa? Well, I don't think, um, I'm really the first um so my my supervisor who is um a really amazing scientist professor mark gibbons who's been a mentor to me for a very long time um Mm. so he he has kind of championed jellyfish research um especially in africa Mm. for quite quite a while before before i came along and so i would never want to say that i was like the first person but i think i am definitely one of the first people who's looking at this scale of data, this mm-hmm. diversity of data and data that's been collected from so many regions. And so I know mm-hmm. that um, a few species are known from the coast, but really there are no modern accounts of any of these species. There are no mm-hmm. modern descriptions. We have no idea what the ranges are. Um, we have no idea what's going on with them genetically. And so one thing we, we notice very quickly is that the diversity, for example, is, is a lot bigger than we thought before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that sense, I, I, I think that I, I really am the first person to look at it, at least within Africa. Um, at mm-hmm. that scale, I think I might be the first person. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so it's going to be interesting. And I, I actually look forward to seeing where it goes, to be honest. Ah, I'm kind of excited to see what comes out of this. <laughs> and so, more and more people have been working on jellyfish, which has kind of blown my mind. Like there's this mm. group, um, I'm not, uh, you, you might want to look it up uh, maybe later on, but they are called Go Jelly. Um, mm-hmm. And what they are doing is looking at biotechnological applications for um, things that they've been able to either extract or synthesize from jellyfish mm. Um there's lots of like agricultural implications. There's lots of people farming jellyfish now to eat. And there's even a restaurant where they serve basically just different foods made out of jellyfish um, mm. <laughs> in Europe. So that's been kind of, kind of weird to see, but also interesting. There's someone who might be wondering, like in, in simple terms, just uh, explain to someone who's not understanding why it is important to to know the genetic diversity because you've also mentioned in the i think african genome project right yeah yeah that you're trying to find out what uh what how rich we are and uh, Mm. putting that out there so can you explain to someone in simple terms why this is important well i think that what a lot of people forget is that a lot of what we use in our day-to-day lives just comes from nature in some way or form. You know, the, pharma- the pharmaceuticals that we use, so the tablets and medicines are derived from nature, the fabrics that we wear, everything is derived from nature in some way. And mm. every year, nature gives us something new. So when a new species is discovered, oftentimes they go, oh, but there's, you know, this protein in the species that does something to our bodies that you know nothing else has been able to do and so they Mm. discover medicines the drug discovery within just biodiversity is ginormous um and and we're talking about you know organic you know solutions to a lot of problems and 
one thing that we lose when we lose biodiversity is some of those discoveries go with that, that loss. And it's important for us to document what we've got. It's important for us to find those, those species that could lead to greater discovery. Um, mm. but just on a, on a, from an ecological standpoint, um, it's good for us to track biodiversity change over time because it tells us a lot about how we are impacting the environment, how different mm. species are impacting each other. Um, which tells us a lot about how we can manage environments and also disasters going forward, how we can, you know, put preventative measures in place for things for us that benefit us, but also benefit them. Um, we can also track ch- genetic change over time. So, you know, how often does this, you know, the species mutate over time and under what circumstances do mutations occur within these different species. So in that way, we can actually project um, sometimes, you know, what might happen in the future. So if we're under X, Y, Z situation, mm. um, the species is likely to do this under those, those conditions. Um, and so, I mean, those are just a, a couple of simple things that, that might also maybe be a little bit sciencey, but, um, mm. Just simply, I think that just documenting that richness in and of itself is really important because mm-hmm. it's so sad when you hear about all these species going extinct and you've never had a chance to see them. You've never had a chance to look at them, learn about them um, mm-hmm. and learn about their role within the environment. And sometimes when they are lost, you'll never know what they did, right? You'll never know the impact that they had because they're no longer there. And so I think we need to be very careful of that. Losing mm-hmm. those things that we don't know are as, as important. And every year we learn new things. And so like with Bionet, um, I tell people sometimes when, when I talk about, you know, the things that you learn all the time, I learned in one of the trainings that we were doing, um, that bacteria is so important for us in our bodies and the compositions of the bacteria within our bodies are, are so vital. And mm-hmm. when those compositions change, even just a little bit by taking medicine or antibiotics, you can impact yourself for almost over a lifetime and mm-hmm. certain changes within certain just compositions of bacteria have now been linked to certain cancers and lots of other medical conditions. And so that to me was very surprising. I went, who would have thought bacteria was so important mm-hmm. and that most of our bodies is actually bacteria rather than human. Like yeah. It's those little facts that you learn and you go, ah, well, these things are so important, but we never knew that. So... Yeah, if we don't document it, we'll never know what to say. <laughs> yeah.